We're focused this week on two topics, sugar beets in Michigan and a new effort to focus on veterans returning to the farm. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. We're connecting this week with Jennifer Keel, American agriculturist who helps cover the western edge of that brand's territory and provides content for the digital brands of Ohio Farmer and Michigan Farmer. She shares a couple of interesting stories this week. First, it turns out that you can have too much of a good thing. A big boost in sugar bee yields has stressed Michigan processors to the limit. Jennifer shares what the farmer-owned cooperatives in the area are doing and what it means to individual farmers. Then she tells us about a project she's starting that involves the Farmer Veteran Coalition. Her coverage of veterans involved with the group is just starting and she shares what she's learned so far, including one veteran's interesting fear in his operation. But first, let's talk sugar beets. Jennifer Keel, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Hi, Willie. Great to be here. Good to talk to you. I, you know, we we're talking every once in a while and we were talking offline. Um, we're talking sugar beets first. We've got a couple of good things to talk about today, but why don't we start off with sugar beets and what's going on in your part of the world? Because where I live in Minnesota in the Red River Valley, we've got beets too, but Michigan is a significant supplier of sugar from the beet industry and they're having an interesting fall. Yeah, Willie, we're having some banner year up here with sugar beets. Um, we normally average about 29 tons per acre. Um, that's like a five-year average. And the most we've ever had was 31.64 tons in 2015. And this year, we were initially looking at 34 was the initial prediction. Now we're looking at 36.5 tons per acre, which is just phenomenal. The problem here is that the processing plants, which are cooperatives, so owned by the growers, um, are going to have a hard time keeping up. And they have to, they already store beets in beet piles. So um, they've actually asked growers to stop harvesting some of their beets. Yeah, that's interesting. I think a lot of people who may not have been around sugar beets need to understand that when you lift beet, you know, you top beets and you lift them and then you move them to town, they don't go right to the processor. They go on to a, a beet pile and and it's like a mountain in the horizon whenever you see that part of the season. But then you're keeping all those beets stored in one place and a pile can go bad, right? Right. Yeah, I always equate it to like when I have a package of potatoes that's been there too long and I have one that goes bad and it seems like it just spreads to all the rest. And we've seen that here in Michigan. We've had some disastrous years, um, probably 10 years ago. They've implemented measures now to um, actually aerate these piles and to um, mediate the freezing and thawing that sometimes happens during the winter here. Right. But this banner year is kind of pushing past the whole system, isn't it? Right. It's uh, they're worried that they're going to get into possibly May still slicing beets at the factory. And that's way too late in the season. You really run a risk of a lot of spoilage there. And so they're asking growers to leave. No, they're not asking. They're telling growers to leave five percent of their beet acreage in the ground. So for and this is a farmer co-op telling farmers don't bring in that five percent. Correct. Yep. So normally we have about 163,000 acres of sugar beets in Michigan. This year we'll have about 100 and they'll harvest about 150,000 acres and they'll be leaving, it's estimated, 500,000 tons in the field. The good news is that's organic matter. Can we go with that for a minute? You know, <laughs> trying I to find a good so, good side of this. I mean, there's some nutrition uh, will be left there. So some nutrients and and so, you know, that could be their cover crop, I guess. 
And is there also a little bit of compensation from the co-op for farmers leaving this in the field? I think that may be a balancing act too, right? The 5% is not going to be compensated. So that's, you can look at it as income not derived or a loss or how you want to do it, but that is on the grower, the 5%. There also, since the estimate actually went up another two and a half tons in a week's time, as they see more of these beads come in, now they're asking for voluntary another 5,000 acres to be left in the field. Those will be compensated based on the average of their acreage that the beets they'd already delivered. So a little bit of help. I mean, yeah. That's, that's getting tough. But like you say, it's a 5% ask is pretty big, even though it's a banner year. So like you say, it's a, what is it, potato, potato? Yeah. <laughs> um, did I lose or did I just not make, enough, make as much? So I think that's tough. But either way, um, a banner year sometimes brings along its own issues or like I like to say, yay, boo, yay, great year, boo. I can't get it all to the processor. So it's interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. So keep an eye on that. And as you learn more, perhaps we can revisit about this in the future. You know, you're starting something else I'm kind of intrigued by. There's a group we hear about now and then called the Farmer Veteran Coalition. Are you doing something with them in Michigan? What What's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Farmer Veteran Coalition was founded. It's a nonprofit. It started in 2008. And I'm actually, they have something called a fellowship fund, and they give out scholarships from one to 5,000. So they're not, not scholarships, grants from mm-hmm. one to $5,000 to critical needs to get veterans into the field of agriculture, whether that be buying a pregnant steer for them or irrigation equipment, chicken coops, greenhouses, anything that, that would help them progress in, in their effort to become a farmer. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I am doing, um, starting out a series of articles. They gave away, what was it? 400,000 in 2021 to 100 grant recipients. And I've located the grant recipients within my, my geographic area, which includes Michigan, Ohio, and the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. So I found some, some veterans that received these grants, and I'm going to be calling them to do uh, features on them, on how, what are they doing in agriculture? How are they using this grant? And, you know, how, why do they think agriculture is a good fit for them? That's interesting because I I know when I talked to the founder of Farmer Veteran Coalition several years ago, we had this conversation about when you come out of service and, you know, you've been around this a little bit. But when you come out of service, you were in a structured life with a structured schedule and then there's nothing. You come out of military and there's kind of nothing. You need to find a new structure. Nothing can bring structure to your life like agriculture. (laughs) things need to be planted at a certain time, tended a certain way, that animal needs to be fed every day. And so it provides a kind of some of that needed structure back to that military brain, I think. Don't you think? Is that what I've learned any about this? Oh, I think so, for sure. I think, you know, I've had them tell me the the one veteran farmer that I interviewed so far is from Michigan, and um, he's a beekeeper, um, Army Specialist Michael Henson and his wife Jennifer live over in Davidson. He's working on building an apillary, and, you know, he said it gives him a true sense. He has a full-time job, so he works for an automotive company, but he says becoming more and more ingrained in agriculture gives him a sense of mission or purpose, and he likes being his own boss, and plus he gets to use some of his core military skills like uh, motivation, discipline, dedication, determination, all with an end goal in mind. So I think it seems like a good fit for some of the skills they've developed in the military. Yeah, I think that was what really got this whole ball rolling was that whole thing about when you're in service, there is a sense of mission. And when you leave service, what is your mission? And I think this is fantastic. So I'm going to look forward to reading 
the features that you're pushing out. And I would encourage anybody listening to this to visit AmericanAgriculturist.com or OhioFarmer.com or MichiganFarmer.com online, and you'll be able to see some of this continuing coverage. Also, you can sign up for the American Agriculturist Facebook page where these stories will come through either newsfeed, so you won't miss them as they go forward, right? I think that's an important part of this, too. So you had your first chat with this person, and um, anything you were surprised by in the conversation? Um, no, he, he said... He said uh, He's, he has a, a terrible phobia of being stung. <laughs> so he so he decided to open an apiary? Walk me through this. <laughs> and he said, well, that again draws on some of my military background, overcoming fear. So I thought that was really a neat answer to that. And um, he's had a few ups and downs. He's lost some uh, hives to varamites. So, I mean, a little bit challenging. But I want to say that the, this project, this grant funding, actually is going to be starting again, I believe, in mid-January. I couldn't get an actual date. But if you go to FarmVet, so F-A-R-M-V-E-T and then C-O dot org, um, they'll be listing when these grants are available because there'll be a new cycle coming out in 2022. So the focus areas that they have for these grants are military service, educational background, uh prior farming experience, some business financial planning, and then the short and long-term goals. And um, Michael Henson, who's the apiary, uh, running an apiary, um, is focused on um, becoming a large beekeeper. His goal is to maybe be 200 hives. And I guess you got to start somewhere. So, and I'm glad to see that the Farmer Veteran Coalition is really giving a boost up to help him do that. Well, I think it's good. There's also a huge potential for the rural community. And we talk about farming and farmers, but we can't forget the small communities that are supported by them. So as these folks return and they get into agriculture, that's only got positive benefit across a broader area than we sometimes think about. Another part of this is um, I'm just going to give a quick plug for Kubota Tractor. They have a partnership with um, Farmer Veteran Coalition called Geared to Give. And it's in addition to these grants. So this is another piece mm-hmm. that's available to growers where you can actually um, they give out larger pieces of equipment. So that, too, is available for veterans. Yeah, that's a good program, too. And sometimes they announce it at the Farm Progress Show. Not every year, but that's also a way to tie in. And it's great that one of our partners in communication, Kubota Tractor, which works with Farm Progress, is a part of something like the Farmer Veteran Coalition. Jen, thanks for your insight on this. Great and interesting to hear about the sugar beet situation. But also, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, watching your coverage of this Farmer Veteran Coalition work. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. Um, My next stop is out in Ohio. I'm going to go see a guy that has uh, grass-fed beef that he's got an operation that benefited from one of these grants as well. The series starts in January. Um, You can also find it online right now, but um, please look for it. And uh, the goal is to have one every month. Well, that'll be fun. All right. Take care. Good to talk to you. All right. Always great. Thanks, Willie. Thanks to Jennifer Keel, American Agriculturist, for her insights on the sugar beet marketing situation in Michigan and her work with the Farmer Veteran Coalition. We look forward to reading those articles. A teaser for our next episode, we're looking at some key Thanksgiving foods and some insights on how they're produced. Yep, we're talking turkey and sweet potatoes. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. You know, before we go, I want to alert you to two special events to consider for your calendar in January of 2022. The Farm Futures Ag Finance Boot Camp and the Farm Futures Summit. 
Boot Camp runs all day January 19, and the Summit runs January 20 and 21. We're in Iowa City, actually in the same hotel facility we've been in before. It just changed its name to the Hyatt Regency Coralville Hotel and Conference Center. You can learn more about the program, what's on hand, and the initial agenda with speakers and more at farmfuturesummit.com. Visit the site and consider registering to be on hand in January. We look forward to seeing you there. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.